Hello and welcome back to Spy Hard's podcast where your hosts go deep undercover into the world of spy movies to decipher which films make the knock list. But remember, this information is strictly for your ears only. I'm Agent Scott. And I'm Ken the Provocateur, hoping that in 2023 we spend more time on the knock list than on the disavowed list. Yes, yes, yes. Well, we are back for the third annual recap episode this time looking back on the year that was 2022 and and uh, what a year it has been uh, it's a very different world from the world it was when we first started this podcast yeah everything was happy back then right it was just yeah. sunshine and rainbows 24 7 and the whole world stood hand in hand singing well I, I like to break the world down into a before bond was blown up and after bond was blown up <laughs> of course of course because that, that really does tend to lead the spy movie discourse online these days no that is an excellent point um we had no way of knowing in 2020 just how polarizing that next bond movie would be and yet it was in the title the whole time i think we suspected i think a lot of people suspected uh yeah i think a lot of people did. i'm not going to claim that i did i'm not one of those people who like oh, i knew this was coming i had no idea but i am noted for being an absolute dummy on this show but yeah, let's just talk about it a little bit. So what we do on these episodes is we have some talking points about the year that was. We talk about some of the films that really stood out to us, some of the moments as well. And later in the show, we're going to hear from your fine selves, some of your favorite moments. You've sent us in the clips and we're going to react to them. Cap, before we get to the questions, let's look at the statistics. We need to know how many films we've looked at this year, which films made the knock list and which films made the disavowed list. Okay, so for the year of 2022, we tackled 44 movies because over the course of this year, we often had interviews that ran during a week as well. So we didn't do 52 movies in the year. Um, of those 44, how many do you think made the knock list, Scott? See, I have a feeling we may have become a little bit more picky in our old age. Uh -huh. So I'm going to say five. And that is completely accurate. Yes, it was five wow. movies made it this year, which was less than the previous two. And when I looked over the movies of this year, because I think someone has brought this up to us, that not a lot of movies made the knock list this year. And there's some that were more of a debate that I think we'll bring up when we you know, proceed throughout this episode. But I noticed this year seemed more perhaps diversified than previous years, where in the previous two years... We were looking at some like really big name franchises, for example, like the Connery Bonds, which mm -hmm. automatically you had like four of them or I think five of them wound up on the knock list and a lot of like heavy hitters where it seemed like in 2022, we still had heavy hitters here and there, but we looked at a lot of, you know, more obscure films, a lot of movies that maybe had name value, but weren't necessarily a bastions of quality. I'm thinking of you, Dr. Goldfoot. Um, and things like that. So I think that kind of accounts for only having five movies on the list. And uh, again, we will discuss the ones that maybe we have minor regrets about because um, there were a couple there. Yeah, it's it's a choice that we made this year specifically and, and sort of going forward is, you know, we have quite a long list, hundreds of films on this film list to tackle. And, you know, we could just jump in straight with the heavy hitters. But I think diversifying, as Cam said, uh, really will help us not only expand our knowledge on spy movies, but also just, you know, give the show a chance to go a bit longer as well. And I think that's a very important thing, because if we just did all the hits, everything would be making the knock list. And what would be the point of the discussion? 
Yeah, because we get all those requests for Kingsman, Tinker Tailor, Mission Impossible, Spy Who Came In From The Cold, all these sort of heavy hitter movies. But then you kind of go through those and then we're left with a whole lot of obscure stuff. So we like to mix it around. But this year was maybe more mixed towards some of the more obscure stuff than previous years, which I think makes sense as you head into year three of a podcast. And yet there are still massive, massive franchises we haven't touched, like Austin Powers, Mission Impossible, Mm -hmm. stuff like that. Uh, We haven't even touched half the Bond films yet. Uh, Roger Moore, Timothy Dalton, all haven't been there. But Cam, what five films made the knock list? So the five that made the list in the year 2022 were Zero Dark Thirty, The Man Who Knew Too Much, the Jimmy Stewart version, Black Book, the Paul Verhoeven film, Ghost in the Shell, the anime, not the uh, live-action remake. And lastly, Casino Royale. I mean, they're all t- tip-top films. Yeah. Yeah, and that, I should uh, I should specify Casino Royale 2006, not the oh. 1960s version. Oh, I-, I wanted to meet some David Niven right there. He took it away. <laughs> yeah. Um, but yeah, I think, and that, again, shows sort of quality of the films that we're tackling. And, and then we have a lot of interesting diversions in between, but... Speaking of the interesting diversions, Cam, that disavowed list. Yeah, the disavowed list. I think there was fewer um, entries on the disavowed this year than the previous year. Um, how many do you think there were out of 44 films? Well, I could look this up now. I'm not. I'm going to be honest. I th- I'm going to guess four. Close. The answer was three, and those movies were Spy Kids 3 and 4 and Trenchcoat. Oh, trench coat. Okay, yeah, I'd forgotten that made the disavowed list. That makes sense. Yeah, that's um, it's interesting as well because you you think if if we're tackling more of the dregs, as it were, and not the heavy hitters, you think there'd be more on the disavowed list than there are on the knock list. So actually, that means technically speaking, we're looking at more quality films than not. Yeah, I feel like some of the bad movies we tackled this year were at least bad in really interesting ways, where there was a lot to discuss, versus uh, those three were, (laughs) some of them were a real chore to sit through. And that's a problem with cinema sometimes as well, is, you know, much as a film is okay, it's not particularly interesting, but it's also not offensive, so you just kind of consume and forget. Exactly, yeah, yeah. I'm looking at you, criminal. (laughs) <laughs> exactly that's a perfect example of a movie that went you know through my eyes and out the back of my head never to be thought of really again indeed 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 well that was the statistics five films on the knock list three films disavowed 44 films tackled in all let's talk about them cam i have a question for you firstly which of those 44 films surprised you the most So, yeah, with this question that we came up with, surprise can be good, it can be bad, it can be anything, really. And so, I had a couple ways of looking at this. Um, The first note I made was British agent and confidential agent. Uh, Two, you know, old black and white uh, movies we watched. And this year, I feel like there was fewer movies that I hadn't seen than maybe the previous year. So, there was fewer movies to really surprise me. Mm. But, you know, British agent... Turned out to be this whole examination of the Russian Revolution. Didn't see that coming. Nope. And then a Confidential Agent, which was um, released in 1945. I thought I knew what this was going in. I did not realize it would, it would be about the Spanish Civil War. That definitely threw me. <laughs> you, you weren't expecting the history lesson when you joined up for Spy Hards. 
I really was not. But the other movie that jumped out to me was actually The Silencers, the first Matt Helm movie. Mm. Um, I kind of felt like I knew what to expect from a Matt Helm film. You know, it's Dean Martin being charming and kind of mugging his way through a spy adventure. I got that. What surprised me about it was this, like, just go-for-broke comedic turn from Stella Stevens. Because a lot of these movies in the 60s where it's these spy spoofs, the female leads don't really get that much to do, especially things that are real showcase roles. And it really did surprise me how much she got to do in terms of a full, like, physical comedy performance. Like, getting to do a big, big turn in that movie. And it was very memorable and a lot of fun. And, you know, we covered the Flint films. You don't have performances like that coming out of those Flint films. Well, those Flint films are all about James Coburn. Like, you really don't remember anyone else in the film. Whereas the Dean Martin, at least the first film, I can't speak to the other ones just yet. You remember quite a lot of different characters from that first film. Even the ones you don't want to remember, like Mr. Rowe or whatever his name was. Yeah, <laughs> the bad guy, yeah. Yeah, uh, ooh, pull up. But yeah, a I, 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 great choice. Um, I, 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 I will always remember the slidey bed into the pool. Oh, yeah. Yeah, and her whole drunk act. Yeah, um, in the mud. was amazing. Yeah, and the falling down in the mud outside the car. Oh, incredible stuff. Yeah, you didn't have to do that before you came to this recording, Cam, to be fair. I wanted to, like, capture the spirit of Stella Stevens on this episode. I think you have. I think you have. But um, on the other side of that, I went for something that genuinely surprised me in the sense of I, my expectations were so low for a film. And this one, Sword. Okay. I mean, you said Sword. It mm. can't be Condor Man because that wasn't this year. <laughs> Well, it, it's close. Oh, uh, I know what it is. It's, is it the Rocketeer? No. Oh, okay. You threw me with the sword thing again. Yeah. It is 1985's The Falcon and the Snowman. That's not a bad pick, actually, because that one I didn't really know what I was getting either. No, I, I looked at the cast. I don't know much about Timothy Hutton. I know a bit more now. But I, don't, I knew a lot about Sean Penn's later work, but this is a very young Sean Penn. I had so low expectations. I thought this is another one of those gritty, grimy 80s, like Jean Le Carre-esque, cold espionage films that I have trouble warming up to a lot of the time. And trust me, there's a lot of that in there. But there's also just this kind of crazy energy about that film, especially in Sean Penn's performance when he's being interrogated and stuff like that. Mm -hmm. he, he is playing at the back of the room and I genuinely didn't expect to actually see a falcon in the movie several times as well. <laughs> so I was surprised. And also it, it provided, and this, this is not a question we're going to tackle. Maybe we should have added it. But it gave me one of my favorite bits of artwork for the show for this entire year. Yeah, that's right. Yeah, that was incredible. Completely bizarre when you compare it to the film itself. But that has just stood out in my mind and like making uh, cocktails in the shredder. Yeah, I was going to mention that. Will not be that. something I ever forget. Yeah. <laughs> that was one of those moments. Like that's one of the things that I really value as we go through this podcast is these odd little moments that somehow stick with us and become, if not recurring jokes, at least something when you, as soon as you bring it up, I immediately know what you're talking about or vice versa. And that uh, cocktail shredder uh, thing, uh, concoction thing was amazing. Yeah, it, it's truly like uh, another one of those sacred candle moments on the show yeah yeah the sacred candle um oromoff all these sorts of things yeah uh the, the, the guy from men in black 
Um, I don't. That's all a blur. But I. Oh, are you talking about Vern Troyer? I am. Yeah. Okay. I was thinking um of uh Will Smith crawling through the plastic piping in Men in Black. Uh, yeah, the plastic piping was another good callback. Yeah. But these are old ones, and we're talking about 2022. So I will handle the next question. Which movie did you dread watching or rewatching the most? This one uh, was an easy answer when you sent me this question through to prepare for it. And it was the second Dr. Goldfoot film, Dr. Goldfoot and the Girl Bombs. <laughs> we had a great guest on the show for the first film. So I learned a lot about the film's history and what I had to expect from the sequel. It's lower budget being shot in Italy. All these sorts of things like, oh, this is not going to be great. And uh, adding on the rewatch tag, having to go back in and watch Franco and Ciccio eating a sandwich and whilst being chased around in a hot air balloon for what <laughs> felt like my, my 30s uh, was one of the most painful moments I've had in the entire year. I actually looked forward to watching this one after the first Dr. Goldfoot. And I didn't uh, watch it a second time like you did. So that's the difference. Mm. Um, no, this one just really threw me when I watched it. I guess it was also a bit of a surprise with the Franco and Ciccio completely overrunning the movie. But uh, yeah, I, I can't imagine a world where I would watch this a second time. No, it's it's completely done, isn't it? Like you never want to revisit that film. That one of the movies you know we've covered, and this doesn't spoil anything for any of the questions we're going to have coming up, but... It's kind of shocking this one didn't make the disavowed list. I guess it's because it's so weird and interesting that it's tough to put it on the uh, disavowed list. I think I mentioned it, but I think our guest and you found it too interesting. I would have absolutely vetoed the hell out of this <laughs> film. I would have dropped a ton of girl bombs on this film. Okay. Yeah, that's fair. That's fair. Well, once we've recovered from the girls with thermonuclear navels, Cam, what about you? So I have kind of two answers for this one, and they're for very different reasons. In terms of movies that I just dreaded sitting down to watch again, the first one was Triple X State of the Union. I had seen this movie back in the day, you know, rented it from Blockbuster and thought it was horrible. And so the idea of sitting down and spending not a little time, I think it's like close to two hours, spending that time rewatching that movie, I was like dreading it. I think we got a fun episode about it with the Film Rage guys, but not a movie I looked forward to. On the flip side, nothing to do with quality. Zero Dark Thirty was one that I kind of dreaded because I was nervous about how I would grapple with that movie on a revisit, but also how I would carry that into the conversation on the show. And I think we got a great episode um, out of that movie with Marianne, one that's actually been brought up, you know, by I, I've heard mentioned elsewhere um, that people really enjoyed that Zero Dark Thirty episode. Judging from downloads, it was a very popular episode. But it was one that I was definitely hesitant going in. Uh, yeah, both for very different reasons as well. That makes complete sense. Mm -hmm. Yeah, yeah, totally. Like, you know, most bad movies I can say, well, you know what? I can go back and watch that. Triple X was pushing the limit on that. But uh, Zero Dark Thirty was just different. Just the content of it and just how intense it is. And we love to laugh and joke around on this show. Like, that's kind of one of the joys. And when you're watching Zero Dark Thirty, you know that that's not really going to be something you can fall back on as much. No, I, I think I managed to sneak in a joke about Chris Pratt's abs. That's right, yeah. I think that's about as far as I was willing to push the envelope on that one. And we, we had a recent episode uh, on the 2018 film uh, Operation Finale mm. as well, which is another one where 
I, I mean, I didn't know as much about it going into the film, but just looking at the artwork, I had a feeling it was going to be quite a serious film. And also Black Book as well, quite serious in its tone. But they're all dealing with, well, not all of those three, but two of them are dealing with quite similar themes. Yeah. And so yeah, harder to have a funny discussion, but I think that's a challenge I enjoy taking on because it means that uh, we have to raise our game and discuss the film perhaps a bit more intellectually than we usually do, which is tough for us. <laughs> it is. And in the case of both Triple X and uh, Zero Dark Thirty, I thought the episodes that came out of those was really were really fun. Although, as I recall, you were very ill during the Triple X State of the Union review. Go back and listen to the guys. If you haven't heard our State of the Union episode, I nicknamed it State of the Flunian. <laughs> it, it was that bad. I actually think looking back retrospectively, I had COVID. Oh, you think so? Yeah, I had a massive cough. I mean, you edited that episode. I'm, I'm sure you edited that hell of a lot of me coughing. Uh, yeah. I, 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 I came up negative on the test but i maybe i was getting the wrong result because i had it for ages i was tired like every symptom was ticking off so hey ho but we had a great chat with the film rage guys you're quite right so yeah uh, and i'll just shout out to a friend uh, a friend of the show tom butler did a wonderful interview with yahoo uh, with lee tamahori recently about dying of the day and they briefly mentioned triple x state of the union as well uh, sort of the connective tissue between the two films and it's actually a really insightful interview i recommend you all go check that out maybe we'll drop a link in the show notes below yeah for sure next up favorite scene of the year now this uh this is a big question because you know there's 44 films and that's a lot of scenes so it has to do quite a lot of work to be your favorite of the year cam i'll throw it to you first what have you got I mean, other than the moat scene and the Pink Panther strikes again. <laughs> it, do, do you know, it's one it's of the great. It's a great moment. Also, like the parallel bars when he's doing that and falls down the stairs. That's a great yeah. scene. Yeah, those two really did jump out to me. But when I went over the list, one thing really jumped out that I could not find anything else to replace this pick with. So I think I'm going to have to say the parkour chase at the start of Casino Royale 2006. Like wow. one of the one of the all-time great action sequences ever. Mm-hmm. And mm-hmm. I mean, what a fantastic introduction to Daniel Craig's Bond. It kind of has it all. And I was looking for like that big dramatic powerhouse moment through some movie we'd tackled, whether it was Zero Dark Thirty or something else that I could say like, you know, I could kind of put on my uh, cinephile um hat and be like aha this is the clear greatest moment of cinema of the year that we tackled but when it comes right down to it that casino royale parkour chase it's tough to beat we had sebastian Foucan on the show the man who basically helped design that entire chase and yeah. yeah him walking us through it running us through it if you will was one of my highlights of the year and i completely agree with you i think it's a fantastic scene and you know the, the 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 motto on that film was to get on with it, you know, and really just to have and and what was the line in in the script? The best chase on in cinema history, or something like that. Yeah, that's right. Yeah, yeah, uh, it, it might well have have been and and probably did achieve that goal. I have to say. Yeah, when we reviewed Casino Royale, we were even debating: did the Craig era ever top it? And I don't know that they did. No, I I think even. With no time to die in the rearview mirror, I still don't think there's really any scene that's beaten it. There's certainly attempts and bits in Skyfall try it. The opening sure. of Quantum tries it. But no. No, I'm not sure they ever do top it. But speaking of topping it, Cam, 
You said you were trying to put your cinephile hat on. I think I might have just put mine on. Oh, okay. Because I'm heading to the opera house. Oh, from which version of The Man Who Knew Too Much? The second version. The Knocklist award-winning version. Yeah. With Doris Day losing her wits as the gun slowly appears from the velvet curtain. And the crescendo hits from the music and the scream hits. And then it also extends into the sequence with K. Sarah Sarah afterwards as well. All kind of sort of flows into the same bit for me. Uh, but you could just use the Royal Albert Hall sequence if you wanted to as well. That is pure suspense and drama there. That's a wonderfully done scene. And you, you'd think it's really tough for a director to say, hey, I'm going to basically reshoot an entire sequence. Um, yeah. Almost shot for shot. But somehow he actually managed to just wring a little bit more attention out of it than he does the first time around. That is a great choice, actually. And, uh, I mean, both sequences in either version are really fantastic, but that one, just the way that Hitchcock ratchets up the tension, how it's all played out, you know, not silently, but there's no dialogue, Mm -hmm. um, is so unbelievably effective. And I think we only tackled, as far as Hitchcock, the two Man Who Knew Too Much movies for this past year. Yeah. didn't do any others. Um, So we'll have two others probably coming up in the next year most likely. But um, yeah, that sequence, when you look at that and the um, parkour chase, like it's tough to beat those two, really. It's, it'd be weird to put them head to head on social media, though. I'll, I'll have a picture of Sebastian Foucan jumping and Doris Day screaming. <laughs> I mean, the um, Bin Laden takedown in Zero Dark Thirty, that whole extended sequence with the SEAL team is top level, um, you know, action work as top well. Film Catherine Bigelow. Right mm-hmm. It is. But when it comes to kind of like sequences I want to rewatch, it's both that Man Who Knew Too Much and Casino Royale. Also, the Zero Dark Thirty scene takes half an hour to reach its conclusion, whereas exactly Casino Royale is out. Both actually Casino Royale and Man Who Knew Too Much are out in like eight minutes, something like that. Yeah, they're yeah. fairly short. Yeah, in comparison. Um, yeah, but. I think both excellent choices. I think people will find it hard to argue with it. But hey, folks, if you have a better suggestion, do let us know about any of the answers to these questions on social media. You know where to find us. I'll remind you at the end. But yeah, any of these questions, maybe we'll even list the questions in the show notes below. If you have any different answers, do let us know. Cam, I think you're up next. Yes. So we talked about our favorite movie scene of the year. I want to know what was the most bizarre movie scene you saw in a Spy Hards movie in 2022? In a Spy Hards movie. That makes it sound like it's, you know, like an A24 film or something. <laughs> True. Um, I have a, it's a double answer. It's kind of cheating. So I'm sorry about this, folks. The word bizarre was the one jumped out to me. The one that made me feel like, what am I watching? Yeah. The first answer that came to my head was Kevin Costner pretending to be a rabid dog in Criminal. That's a good one, yeah. He's like chained to the ceiling by his neck and he's got like a spiked dog collar on. It's 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 definitely a scene. It it's is. a thing that happened in the film. Yep. Um and we even had like an actor that was on the film, a good friend of mine, Jamie Chambers, on the show to help us break it down as well. Really fun discussion. But that scene, I was like, what is Kevin Costner doing? Like <laughs> like what the last year I was watching him in No Way Out looking super handsome running around in Washington DC. You know, schmoozing up with Sean Young, and and then he's uh, playing a literal rabid dog. Weird moment. But my other one takes me to one of my favorite countries in the world, and that is Malta. 
Okay. I'm talking about Margot Kidder being led up the stairs drunk uh, by Robert Hayes in trench coat. And sort of the marionette as he does with her body as she's sort of walking. It's like it's like a um, weekend at Bernie's. Yeah, it's probably the best scene in the movie because you get some actual physical comedy from Margot Kidder that's actually good. Mm. Uh, the rest of that movie is just a dead zone. But yeah, that moment's fun. Yeah, uh, it, it's maybe not as bizarre, but I, the film itself is not really like leading to that moment. It just, it's like a moment of life in an otherwise dull film, which makes it feel bizarre almost. Sure, yeah, no, that's a great pick. And for me, you mentioned it earlier, the chase in Dr. Goldfoot and the girl bombs. Now, we had the car chase at the end of the previous Dr. Goldfoot movie, which is fun at in parts, but you, it's you know something you could have seen in, say, like a Disney live-action comedy of the era or something like that. The chase in girl bombs goes on and on and on. It's all in fast motion. It's characters talking like chipmunks and just, like, bouncing around the, the screen for, like, what is it, like 10 minutes? 10? Oh, you think longer? It's like 25. It's not 25, but it is long. And it's sped up. Can you imagine what the original length was? That is also true. Yeah. It's crazy. Like, it, it is absolutely insane. It is like a hallucination on film, which is kind of why I enjoyed is the wrong word, but I was astonished by it. It's like watching a train crash. You, you don't want to look, but you can't take your eyes away. Yeah, because we've seen many a chases in spy movies and in comedy spy movies. You know, I'm sure Jumpin' Jack Flash had, I think that had the scene with like her in the phone booth. phone booth and things like that. Yeah, yeah. We've seen various comedic chase scenes in spy movies. We will probably, I can't imagine, see anything like this ever again. I hope. <laughs> it's hardly like the Ronin chase, is it? No, no. And uh, there's really nothing else quite like it. Like even at one point, they all end up dead in heaven. Uh, well, yeah, there's like the angel like yelling at them with the high-pitched voice, yeah. Yeah, it, I, I, I still quite haven't wrapped my head around that one, I have to say. It might be because I'm tired. It might be because I've still got Franco and Chichio on the brain and they're eating a sandwich of... Maybe the sandwich is made from my brain. Yeah, well, entirely possible, yeah. Well, I'm going to grab my shovel, Cam. We need to unearth some hidden gems. So the question goes to you. What's a, uh, sort of a hidden gem that we've dug up this year? This was actually a really tough one for me because in terms of like stumbling across like a new favorite movie, I don't know that that really happened. We found some that I really liked, but there was nothing where I was like, this is going to be just like a favorite of mine going forward. There was stuff like all through the night, which I thought was fun. What are you saying? Rod Taylor <laughs> jump flying around in bungee cords. Is that not your favorite thing of the year? Rod Taylor? Yeah, in the liquidator. Oh, of course, the liquidator, yes. Um, Cam has forgotten all about the liquidator, folks. <laughs> yeah, yeah. Um, so, sorry, Jill sent, uh, Jill, Jill sent John? No, that's right, yeah. I oh, got it right, yeah. The one that I decided to go with, and it's not a good movie, but it's oh, one no. that once we tackled it, the amount of conversation we've had about it online, how much it has stuck around in my brain kind of shows that it was kind of the most at least fun unearthed gem of the year and that was the Roy Orbison musical The Fastest Guitar Alive <laughs> <laughs> The film where I actually sang an outro Yes you're going to bring this up okay We are going to watch a lot of bad spy movies or weird spy movies 
it's going to be tough to find one that is as strange and unique as this one. And it was really interesting to do the research on this and find it how it fell in this really pivotal point in Roy Orbison's career and life. And uh, just so many bizarre decisions in that movie. It's not a movie that's very good, but in terms of like kind of cult movies that once you've seen them, you can kind of say to someone else like, hey, have you seen Fastest Guitar Alive? And then talk about scenes in it. It's kind of cool in that regard. No, it's also interesting because I watched a a bit of a documentary about Roy Orbison the other day, and they didn't make one singular mention of this film. Yeah, exactly. It's it is a real cult thing in the fact you know they sell T-shirts for it on mm-hmm. his website, I believe. And then Quentin Tarantino is taking songs from the soundtrack album and putting them in Hateful Eight. Like this movie has a certain very 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 low key awareness out there. But it was fun to kind of join in on that, discovering that movie. No, and, and you know, we, we uh, got to snuggle huggle for the first time ever. And I don't think we were ever the same. No, exactly, exactly. No. Not a good movie, but an interesting one that I'm glad I found. And, it, and I'll just say about uh, Fastest Guitar Alive, there's some films, and we do, we do hear you when you guys say this online, and uh, we don't ignore you. But sometimes we tackle films that are really on the borderline of being spy films. We acknowledge this usually in the episode, of course, like how much of this was spy. Like Trenchcoat was really on the ropes for a very long time. This is even a spy film. Same with uh, something really good like The Rocketeer. Yeah, exactly. There can be no doubt that The Fastest Guitar Alive is a spy film. Like Everything is there on the page. It's just unfortunate that its lead has... Hmm... A lack of charisma. Who who has no charisma, Cam? Um, Robert Hayes in trench coat. Ooh, <laughs> Yep, that'll do. Robert Hayes in trench coat. Yeah. So, um, no, I I I'm glad you picked this one. I, I wouldn't call it a gem so much as just uh, it's like finding all of those ET cartridges in the desert. Exactly. Yes. It, it's it's yes. some it's someone's treasure and another man's trash. And you were referring, of course, to the uh, E.T. Atari game, which was so disastrous that no one bought it. So they buried all the E.T. cartridges out in the desert. Yeah, precisely. I went for more of uh, what you'd call a normal answer to this question, Cam, which is a good film that I was surprised by, but like one that people weren't talking about. Uh, which you could have gone back to The Falcon and the Snowman, because that was also really not a film people are talking about. But I thought I'd go somewhere different. And I was stuck between two films. I'm going to tr- talk to you about it and try and pick one because I think having one answer is better because Firefox is one of my picks. Okay. I had a lot of fun with Firefox, but I feel like it's a film that a lot of people do know, but they're Clint Eastwood fans. Right. If you're not a Clint Eastwood fan, I don't think you'll necessarily remember Firefox too much. No, and it's impossible to Google as well. It is, it is, it is, uh, unless you want to change your browser. Uh, so that's that's a toughie. And then the other one was Black Book, which I feel like people just aren't talking about as well. I think that was a really solid film. It made the knock list. But again, there's like no discussion about it online. No, Black Book was a fantastic movie that I saw, you know, way back in the day when it was first released on home video. And I was so excited to tackle that one on the show. And I think we had a really good discussion about that movie, and I'm I'm so happy it made the knock list. Yeah, so I think I'm going to go with Black Book. No indictment on Firefox. I think that's a really fun film. I just think people kind of know it exists, so I, I'm not sure if it's unearthing anything. 
Sure. Yeah, that's fair because Firefox does have a certain amount of awareness, especially for a uh, older generation of film fans. Which is strange because you think like Black Book is quite a recent film. Carice Van Houten is kind of a big name, especially in like Dutch cinema. It, it should be more well known. And Paul Verhoeven, of course, is a story director. He's had some of the best action films of the 80s and 90s under his belt. So you'd think people would be talking about it. But yeah, so I think in terms of unearthing a gem, Black Book is my choice. Yeah, Verhoeven fans will definitely cite this movie. But you're right, it doesn't have that kind of wide stream embracing that it deserves. Yeah, absolutely. Okay, well, we talked about the best, you know, unearthed gems or hidden gems or whatever you want to call them. But what about your favorite movie of the year? This is the kind of the big question. Is this such a like a non-answer, I feel like? Because mm-hmm. you think, I suppose the question, I, I read this question as like the best film that we covered. Sure. Because some of my personal favorites aren't ones that made the knock list. I had a lot of fun with some of the films. Like Firefox, for instance, I had, a, you know, going back to that just now. I had a ton of fun talking about Firefox and, you know, the, the interview we did with it as well as Wendell Wellman. Great film to really dive into. But was it the best? I'm not so sure. And so I think my answer is exceedingly boring. But the best movie of the 44 films that we tackled, to me, is a film we've mentioned already. It's 2006's Casino Royale. I am on the exact same page as you. Um, I did look at Black Book. But when it comes right down to it, Casino Royale 2006 is a pretty much perfect James Bond film. Yep. And it's my number one. Yeah, as an action film, dramatically, it's really gripping. It kind of has all of the elements you could ever want in that type of story. And so it was really hard to mention anything else as my favorite because. At the end of the day, I'm very aware I'm going to watch Casino Royale like countless more times over the course of my life, and that's probably not the case for almost anything else on the list. I mean, I know you were all rooting for Springfield Rifle, of course. Of course. But, you know, it's got to be Casino Royale. You all know it's the best film we've tackled this year. And look, we won't be talking about Casino Royale next year because we're moving on to the next batch of... Craig films. We literally just covered Quantum of Solace. Some great coverage there. But yeah, Casino Royale is hands down one of the best spy films of all time. I think it was, even when we wrote that film down in our list, Cam and I probably knew in our head it was going to make the knock list. You know, trying to keep our biases away from it, but it literally is a bomb film that is firing on all cylinders. And I don't think many bomb films can hand on heart say that. No, and when you look at the Bond films we covered this year as well, we had Diamonds Are Forever um, very early in the year. And then we did Never Say Never Again and Casino Royale 67. And then, you know, Quantum of Solace, as you mentioned, and the Casino Royale TV special from the 1950s. Like, this Casino Royale 2006 really looms large against all the Bond stuff we even covered this year. Yeah, compared to like last year, it's a completely different story because you've got like the latter sean connery films and the latter pierce brosnan films now varying qualities there but a lot of the sean connery films are surefire successes plus on a majesty's secret service which is not my favorite uh when it comes to performances of bond but in terms of bond films altogether one of the best but yeah i i, I think for those of you playing along at home if you have a different answer to for the favorite movie of the year we'd, we'd love to hear it but it, i think it'd be a hard argument to sort of say anything other than casino royale I think someone might say maybe Zero Dark Thirty or 
maybe the man who knew too much, um, but it's pretty... I find it impossible to say anything other than Casino Royale. Well, the, the five Noculus films this year were those four and Ghost in the Shell, right? Yeah. I don't think Ghost in the Shell is beating any of those four. No, I agree. Yeah. Well, okay. We've gone from best. Let's go to worst. Yeah. There were some doozies this year. Yeah. Um, I mean, it, it, I, I suppose one thing I, I will preface with this, it doesn't have to be disavowed. Right. It could just be the one you hated vehemently. You know what, though? <laughs> this one? <laughs> so, I had to look at the list. Because there's, like, lots of, like, real duds we covered on the show this year. But I had to ask myself, which one did I find just absolute torture to sit through? And the answer for me was Spy Kids 3D Game Over. Which, I will bow down to Chicklet for popping up on the show and helping us, you know, break that one down. Because... That was no fun assignment in many ways. To spend that 80 mind-numbing minutes watching that CG demo reel posing as a movie, uh, boy, was it torture. And I mean, just the worst crappy-looking 3D effects on a you know two-dimensional TV, um, a narrative that's just a disaster. It's all just an excuse for like really ugly CG. It was the worst. Because I can look at the other things. Trench coat I definitely considered. But then I'm like, you know what? It's trying to be a movie. Mm -hmm. Spy Kids 3D is barely a movie. It's just something to keep kids, very hyperactive kids, um, kind of focused in a theater. I, I don't disagree with you. Although I will say, having recently watched Black Panther 2, and don't hate on me, folks, but some of the CG in that film doesn't <laughs> look far off this. No, that's true. And that's a scary, scary thing to come to the realization of. I am going to keep the same franchise, but I'm going to change the number. Oh, you're going with the fourth? I am. I'm going to scratch and sniff my way into Spy Kids for all the time in the world. Another disavowed spy movie. Um, I just don't like this film very much. It's... At least with 3D, there's, they're trying to do something. It's, it's mm. unsuccessful. But he's like, hey, let's try out this CG technology. Let's push it to push the envelope. Spy Kids 4 is not pushing anyone's envelope. If anything, it's pushing our patience to its uh, furthest extent. There's fart bombs. There's a guy called TikTok, paid by Jeremy Piven. It, <laughs> it, it hurts me to no end. And like it... It tries to raise this game by having the original kids come back for a little bit, and that's kind of fun. I totally get that. But it's it's a Spy Kids film without my Spy Kids. It's like devoid of everything that made the first one work. For me, the reason that this one didn't get selected was because it didn't have Pogo Toads <laughs> for like 12 torturous <laughs> moments, like Spy Kids 3D. But on a more serious note, like... This one, the fourth one, it's a terrible movie. So, like, you're not wrong to have this as your worst movie of the year. I think that's an entirely sane decision. To me, the reason this one wasn't my worst was because at least its thematics kind of made sense mm. about what they were going for with the whole time concept. Whereas I have no idea what was going on with any of the writing to do with the Sylvester Stallone villain in Game Over. So that's kind of the only way I was able to decide between the two. But uh, yeah, this this movie was terrible. Just terrible. It's it's strange that a series can go from the varying heights of 
a knock list entry to two disavowed entries. H- has that happened anywhere else? Uh, I don't think so. And it does not fill me with hope for the you know new Spy Kids Netflix movie they're going to make. Which we will cover. We will indeed. I'm sorry. Here's the question. Are we going to do it twice? Like, are we going to do a declassified and a standalone episode? Or are we just going to bite the bullet and just do one episode? I think the cry out on social media has to be exceedingly loud for us to consider doing a declassified episode for this one. Okay, fair enough. If you guys want it to happen, you let us Don't know. Don't say that. You're inviting it in, Scott. I, push it away. Look, it, people want to hear us talk about Spy Kids 5 or 5 Kids or whatever they want to call it. Um, sure. Sure. We'll do it. We'll, we'll, we'll fall on that sword so you don't have to. But yeah, otherwise, I think it's just a one review for us. Okay, I can handle that. Can you? Well, not if it's like the third and fourth. No, I'll have to sniff something before we do it. (laughs) We interrupt this program to bring you a special report. Calling all agents. Independent podcasting, much like the spy game, requires considerable resources. Whether it's research, equipment, hosting... Or, of course, constructing a top-secret volcano lair, we're putting out the call for your support. That's right. As you may know, we've activated the Spy Hearts Patreon, home of our ever-growing lineup of Agents in the Field episodes where we decode non-spy films from your favorite spy actors and full film commentaries with more intel than a Basil Exposition briefing. Cam, what have we got in our crosshairs this month? The holidays may be over, but it's time to catch up on our Christmas content on Patreon. We have reviews for Love Actually and Muppet Christmas Carol, plus a commentary for The Long Kiss Goodnight. Who needs Santa with a haul like that? And if that sounds delicious, then become a true spy hard today and join the circus at patreon.com slash spyhards. But before this message self-destructs, Cam, resume the spy jinx. Okay, so we talked about you know, the best and the worst movies for us in 2022. But a lot of debate was had about the knock list this year. Movies that deserved to be on, movies that didn't. And we would hear from people, you know, online about movies they felt should have. So I want to know for you, what was the toughest call for the knock list? Your toughest vote over the course of this past year? It was a tough one because I had to go back and look at the knock list. I had to look at the films we covered and sort of compare notes and find what I would call like the next best film that didn't make the knock list. And that is an easy one in that sense, because that is Spy Game. Right. We had a fantastic episode on that, decoding it with a good friend of the show, Chris Carr. And then we had Dan Mindell on for an interview as well, the, the cinematographer of the film, worked with J.J. Abrams on Mission Impossible, Star Trek films and Star Wars films. Fantastic interview. And I just think like, it's a real shame that one's not on there. That's the one that kind of lingers with you? It's like the one that got away. I have two regrets on the knock list so far. One is this, and the other one is letting You Only Live Twice on. I definitely regretted the You Only Live Twice because I voted against it. Um, I know, I know. I have, like, I guess in the same way, I kind of have regrets about uh, Burn After Reading, which I voted yes for, mm. but it was voted down. I, I was like, Burn After Reading was a pretty cool movie. I, I would have been okay with that one making the list. But you know what? Uh, Spy Game was also my pick for this category. Right. I did consider the original Man Who Knew Too Much um, okay. very strongly. Yeah. yeah, yeah, yeah. But it was like, 
there was elements about it that just held it back. And I think we talked about it in the episode, like just some of the the way they're juggling characters and the way you kind of lose track of a protagonist. Um, it has issues. And also Hitchcock would approve upon that formula so much with the 39 steps. But it is often hard for me to say no to a, you know, fairly classic Hitchcock movie. So that one kind of stung a little bit. And it has kind of stuck with me. But Spy Game, I don't think Spy Game is a great with a capital G movie. But I do think it's a really good movie. And I do feel a little bad about that one in the sense that like to kind of represent the work of Tony Scott. And we still have Tony Scott movies to come, mm-hmm. you know, Man on Fire, yeah, Enemy of the State as well. Um, so like there's more opportunities, but I I, I have kind of struggled with this one. I think the reason that I was a okay at the time saying no to it was if I'm looking at like Robert Redford spy thrillers, like a spy game is not a patch on Three Days of the Condor. Sure. I think Three Days of the Condor sure. is an infinitely better movie. Mm-hmm. And so, you know, to me, Spy Game works as this relationship between, you know, Brad Pitt and Robert Redford. I like the movie, but is it great? And that's sometimes the hard line to decide that you really don't have a good sense of. You can say something is a incredibly entertaining movie. Does it deserve on the list of the all-time greats? At that point in time, I didn't feel it deserved, you know, mention alongside the all-time greats. I still kind of feel that way, but that doesn't mean I don't feel bad about it. And I think that movie and Born Identity are the two that kind of bounce around my head as the, did we make the right call? I don't know. We are human after all. So we do sometimes, you know, make uh, questionable decisions. It's See, with Born Identity, since going back and doing the commentary track for Patreon, I've made my piece and I feel like there is yeah. elements missing from that film. I can completely happily put that to bed i feel the same way it's just more the influence of it was so profound but yeah no i i completely understand your your point um yeah if someone turned around to us and said now and i will just point out guys it is our list but you you had like a do-over for each year one one uno reverse card i would use that for spy game i think i would be the same unless i can just completely overturn burn after reading but I only had my vote. No, no, you'd have to see if you if you changed your vote or I changed my vote, you might be able to fix. Actually, you could probably save both. Sure. Yeah. Um, and then I would probably get rid of you and live twice. But we don't go back. We go forward. That's right. And we're marching forward into a different section. And this time we're talking not about the films, but about a section of this podcast that I think has really expanded over the last year. And that is the spy master interviews, right? Yeah, expanded in length, expanded in scope, expanded in the amount of Cam's patience. It is slowly <laughs> stripping away. <laughs> the question is, what was your favorite interview of the year? This is a tough one to measure because there's like the ones that were the most fun, mm. and then there's the ones where when they were done, I was like, I, I had the thought of like that was a really special interview. So I'm going to go with the latter because I think a lot of people are going to look to us and be like, well, you've got to pick like some of the really big ones like, you know, Miriam Dabo, for example, which was like such an exciting thing to have her on the show or Bruce Glover was really exciting as well. Sure. But you referenced it earlier. I thought our interview with Wendell Wellman talking about Firefox was like a really special chat where, you know, we talked about all the behind the scenes about him 
you know, helping adapt because he was the co-writer on Firefox, helping to adapt that novel to the screen and how difficult it was and just all the logistics he had to deal with, his relationship with Clint Eastwood, but also just about the life of a Hollywood writer and just how, you know, his kind of life has proceeded since making Firefox. That interview was one of the ones where I really felt like there was a bit of a connection that happened. We've had a lot of fun interviewing folks on the show, but you don't often have that kind of human connection. And I felt like that was really present in the uh, the Wendell Wellman interview. Yeah, I was struggling to make my pick for this one. I was thinking of like Barbara Carrera. Yeah. yeah now, she's been a like someone I've wanted to have on the show for a long time. Um Roberto Schaefer, like I think that was a fascinating look at like cinematography. Yeah. Same with Dan Mendel as well. Like that was it's like film school. Yeah. And it's not it's not a lot of our questions doing it. It's what they're giving us for free. And that I think is amazing. But I think that Wendell one I, I hold really near and dear to my heart as well. And it's my answer too. So much so that there's a so a little behind the scenes, I listen to the episodes of Cam Edits before we make them live, just to check them for any bugs or anything like that. And I remember I was listening to this interview back. I was actually taking my dog Mac for a walk, and we were down a particular street, and I just stopped walking him at one point and just listened to it. It was towards the end of the interview, and, he, and Wendell was talking about, like, like he's he's getting up there in, in his age, and he feels like time is catching up to him a little bit. And he's looking to like go back to his roots and reconnect with his family and and some friends and 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 you know church is really important to him and that's something he wanted to bring up in the discussion, and and not in a heavy-handed way, it just felt like really like an introspective chat. He was looking inside of himself and 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 like just really sharing his soul to us. And I I just stood there and listened for like ten minutes, and the dog didn't really mind. But that street now, whenever I walk through it, I just think of that interview. And that's quite a profound thing. That that street is not called Wendell Wellman Street, but in my head, that's what it is now. Right. Like, it was a very, like, honest and authentic discussion. And, like, I have loved many of the interviews we've done where we've broken things down. I, I think of, you know, the interview we did with Matthew Orton about um, Operation Finale, which I thought was a fantastic dive into that movie. Um, we've done so many like that. But there was something about that Wendell Wellman one that really stuck with me. The only other one that I considered, which I thought was another fantastic chat that maybe people would be surprised to hear me mention, I don't know, but was Mary Claypool talking about, um, you know, doing the English um, localization for Ghost in the Shell, which was this fascinating look into a career that I never really understood or knew even was a thing. And her ability to guide us through that and make it entertaining and funny, I thought that interview just on an entertainment level was really fantastic and that's not to take away from the other interviews that we've done and we really enjoy talking to all sorts of people and like i mean we've spoken to genuine movie stars jacqueline Bissett, uh barbara carrera mariam darbo like you mentioned um the list goes on there's there's a lot of more people out there that we've spoken to and there's a lot that we've recorded this year that actually aren't even being played this year there's there's ones that we can't talk about right now that are you know queued up for other films down the road or just in our back pocket for a little while but yeah i, I my my mind always comes back to that wendell one and i just it it was something special in the room mm-hmm, definitely okay well continuing down the trail of some of our favorite um you know podcasting of the year 
what Scott, what was one of your favorite moments from this past year? It, it's hard picking a favorite moment. And I know our listeners are sending us in clips, which we'll discuss in a little bit about their favorite moments as well. But the moment that jumped out to me and it had a lot of chat online that I wasn't really expecting was uh, was an, a stupid choice that you made, Cam. <laughs> By trying to dictate history in the British Isles, <laughs> pretending that you know more about the history of Betamax over VHS <laughs> and what I watched as a kid. Um, yeah, here's the clip. I, mean, I was born in 87, but I I'd never once ordered a VHS. I went to Blockbuster and rented stuff, but what the hell is a mail-order movie? You're saying you didn't have mail-order beta tapes? No. Okay. Because <laughs> you guys didn't use VHS, right? Yes. Did you? Where'd you get I that you Intel from? Tapes. What are you talking... I've got VHSs right on my shelf above me, you fool. That's weird. Why did I think that, like, uh... What do you think we use? Laserdisc? No, beta tapes. No? I thought that the beta wars, uh, that Europe took on the beta tapes and North America got the VHS tapes. I, I, I can't speak to that end, but I, I can definitely assure you VHS won here, at least from when I was watching television in the late 80s, early 90s. Really? How dare you go and check? I see you Googling right now, Cameron. I know my existence. I know what I grew up in. <laughs> <laughs> what are you doing? Put your phone down. <laughs> Listeners at home, you can't hear Cam, but he's frantically typing to try and find a way to say I'm wrong. <laughs> well, this is a hundred episodes of frustration building up. <laughs> well, I can't find it right now. I have water. Nah. I have water under my screen, so I can't type properly. <laughs> one hundred episodes, folks. Anyways, so proud. I'm so proud of that one. What amazing podcasting that was. I like that. You know, in our first year, I was fumbling around with the Vern Troyer appearance in Men in Black. And now I have this, the uh, beta tape controversy of 2022. You, you truly are the beta of this podcast. Thank you. I mean, that that was in our Spy Hard episode. Um, I don't even remember how it wound up in our Spy Hard episode, but thank God it did. I mean, it was a sprawling review. It was our 100th film, to be fair. Uh, and a, a film I was genuinely surprised by, actually, as well. Uh, and not in a mm. good way. But we'll leave that to one side. You can check out the Spy Hard episode if you want to hear more. Cam, what I want to hear is from you. What was your favorite moment of the year? I mean, other than Barbara Carrera saying "Au revoir, Cam," oh, that was uh, yeah, <laughs> that was pretty amazing. Um, but you know what? It's actually another moment from an interview, which was a moment when we were interviewing Nikki Nade, which was the big week we did of uh, anniversary born identity stuff, where mm -hmm. we did that fantastic roundtable episode that I had a blast doing. Um, but we interviewed Nikki Nade, who played the assassin who tries to take out Bourne in his apartment. And there was a moment where we're, you know, asking Nikki if he had any props or any um, memorabilia that he took from the set. And he pulls out the uh, the finger knife that he uses in that movie. That was such a fun moment. And I think we, our jaws hit the floor and that's kind of the spontaneous fun you can have in interviews that we didn't acknowledge when we were talking about favorite interviews. But that was, I think, one of my favorite moments in maybe the history of this podcast. Let's listen to it now. People keep talking about the pen. The, the fight also involves a lot of knife play. Now, I, I assume that was like a rubber prop knife you were using, something like that. Nope. Oh. Oh, hang on. Do Mm-hmm. Hang on, maybe I have a, like a little souvenir somewhere. 
Uh -huh. I don't know if he's here. No, it's uh Oh, wow. What about that? Look at that. What about that? This is the one. And can you hear that? That's not yeah. a prop. That's not a prop. It's not rubber. Mm -hmm. It's aluminum. It's for real. So, yeah, the push dagger, you know. Mm -hmm. You see, whoa, that hurts. <laughs> wow. No, it wasn't a big one. It was this one. I, I was not expecting you to have it there. Because my next question was going to be, did you keep any souvenirs? Wow. So you kind of answered that question for me. That's uh, I, I thought you might keep the pen, but that that actually the knife's actually way cooler. It is. Yeah, what a moment that was. Uh, we were both shocked. If you actually want to see the video version of that, we'll put a link to the show notes below. We've actually got it on our YouTube channel, which I urge you all to check out. Uh, YouTube.com slash spyhards and subscribe to us there. We have a lot of cool stuff that's exclusive to YouTube. Um, but yeah, actually watching our faces drop as he pulls the push dagger out and it's, it's real metal. It ain't no fake. It ain't no bit of rubber. Yeah. Uh, that was what they was. He was really throwing at Matt Damon and, and kudos to both of them. Yeah. It's like so cool. So cool to see that. I had a blast with that interview. And no wonder it was so hard to pick out like a best interview moment because all these sorts of things as well, you know? Mm-hmm. Mm -hmm. My, another backup I had, I'll just briefly mention was, uh, me, you and Calvin Dyson, Tried to determine um, how cymbal players work in an orchestra on our Man Who Knew Too Much episode. I don't know that that one's going to get um, brought up by the people sending in voicemails, but it just really jumped out to me. It's a very bizarre tangent <laughs> that we went down. I have to ask, because this chap is basically standing up for the entire performance until his final moment of glory. Is the cymbal player the worst job in an orchestra? Okay, I was wondering the same thing. Is it worst or best? Like, <laughs> well... If you are the cymbal player, and does it take training? Is it difficult to become a cymbal player? Because Hot this guy would can. indicate... Cymbal players, no yeah. training. <laughs> <laughs> I'm sure the cymbal players union is going to be sending me angry letters. But, um, <laughs> like, do you get paid the same amount as other players? Like, how does this work for the cymbal? And is it the same for, like, a triangle player? Are you on par with, like, a cymbal player? Punching down today, aren't we, Cam? <laughs> well, I was someone who was trained on the the triangle in uh, school, so um, I can relate to any triangle players out there. <laughs> All I can say is it takes precision timing. Okay, so I, I'm not sure that I'm not sure what the pay scale is. I've never played in a full orchestra before, so I don't know. Um, it does seem unfair. Yeah, it does, doesn't it? Like the first chair violinist. Yeah, you know, they've got a Stradivarius, they've got like the best violin in the world, and they are carrying the entire performance, and then there's one guy at the back just going, Ugh, drum, drum, <laughs> drum. I don't know. If I'm a cymbal player and I'm like sick and can't make it to the show, do they care? Hmm. Who gets bumped like down to cymbal player? Who's the next on the like the, the cutting line? <laughs> if like the cymbal player hasn't turned up, who's getting demoted? Well, okay, now I'm wondering if the cymbal player in a typical orchestra would be kind of a multi-instrumentalist where they have a few of those types of jobs, like a triangle, cymbals, yes. and a couple other things. That is usually the okay. answer to that question, yes. That's the boring answer, sorry. I, just, I was just playing along. Or maybe, like, we're only seeing one song here, so we the next one in the set list, he might be, like, going like one of those monkey wind-up dolls. <laughs> like, the next song's <laughs> going to be a complete uh, cymbal lead. Just think of all the lives of American families that performance would ruin. <laughs> he pulls out an electric guitar for the next song. Well, 
that's a different that's a different life ruined if if you're if you work in an orchestra and you haven't heard that episode go take a listen and then get back to us with an answer because we're genuinely curious yeah now cam we mentioned this earlier on the show a little bit we've had some mvps in our past a couple of moments as well but a couple of characters that have really stood out to us Oromov was an early mvp on the show and so we've decided to crown the inaugural spy hards mvp of the year 2002 and we'll crown one every year um we haven't really quite got the parameters as to how it's more like a gut feeling of an actor or a performance that really stood out throughout the year that we want to spotlight as our mvp and we'll pitch one to each other and i think between us we'll discuss and pick our favorites does that sound good to you i think that works for me yeah uh, and we always want to hear what you guys think so let us know who your mvps of the year are but from the 44 films that we covered on the main channel plus on the patreon yeah patreon.com slash spyhards i'm going to pick Mr. Peter Laurie. Okay. He has had four appearances on the show this year. Just count that. The Man Who Knew Too Much from the 30s. Casino Royale from 1956. All Through the Night from 1941. And Muscle Beach Party from 1963, I believe. 64. That is 64. I was on a roll until you derailed me. (laughs) Fantastic stuff. Four appearances from Mr. Peter Laurie, and he's never once let me down. You know what? That's actually who I had as well. And it was oh. because, like, I, I, when picking the MVP, I wanted someone who kind of loomed over the year. And, like, you know, I did look at Jessica Chastain. Um, Zero mm-hmm. Dark Thirty was very strong. But then I was like, the 355, hard to kind of hit the MVP of the year with the 355. Um, so I did consider her... Um, yeah, like it's hard to argue against Peter Laurie because I don't know in a given year going forward if we're going to have four Peter Laurie movies pop up on the show within one calendar year. That seems kind of unlikely. Mm. And so the fact that we had four of them, I mean, obviously one was a Patreon episode. Check that out, guys. Patreon.com slash spyhards for Muscle Beach Party. But the fact that we managed to... <laughs> They're all uh, steaming in now. <laughs> the fact that we managed to have this guy pop up four times was so much fun. Every time he brought something very different, mm. and uh, I was always thankful to have him there. Was he in Confidential Agent too? Cam, you know what? I just looked it up. He was also in Confidential Agent. That's five films. Yeah. And I don't think any performance was the same. No. This was a slam dunk. And just, he could always play like creepy villains, but they were never generic creepy villains. Every one of them had like an interesting bit of business. I think about him eating like the popcorn or the candy corn or whatever it is in all mm-hmm. through the night, um, you know, hiding behind the door in the man who knew too much. Every time Peter Laurie showed up, it was interesting. And I think we often cited him and his performances as one of the things we really liked in every single movie we covered. Yeah. I, I think even the bad films, and there was a couple of the five that weren't great. Uh, I'm looking at you, Muscle Beach Party. Hey. <laughs> I, I can't help but look at the Muscle Beach Party. I know I'm really selling this Muscle Beach Party. Yeah. Did I mention Muscle Beach Party? Yeah, uh, Peter Laurie is the man. Yeah. Yes, Peter Laurie, he is our MVP of 2022. What a guy. And uh, we queued it up earlier, but let's get down to it now. Your clips. Let's hear them. Well, first up, we have 
Mr. Sam Rogers. He joined me on the show this year to interview Sebastian Fucan for our Casino Royale coverage, but he sent us in a voice clip, so Cam, fire it up. Happy New Year to everyone who is listening to the Spy Hards podcast. This is Sam Rogers, um, and I've taken part uh, in a couple of Spy Hards projects, um, and I think this year, or this past year, my favourite has been... Yeah, a little bit self-indulgent here, but the interview with Sebastian Foucan, who famously played Malacca in Casino Royale. It was a fantastic interview and it was so great to kind of hear his story, um, his experiences on set, what he learned from it, and all the positive takeaways that he had. Um, with such another difficult year, it was just so nice to hear someone who had such positive stories, a good attitude, and just seemed very honest and vocal about what something like working on a James Bond film did for him, his career, and just his personal uh, attitude and work ethic as well. So that was my favourite. I hope everyone has a brilliant 2023. And thank you, Spy Hard Podcast. Thank you, Sam, for the lovely voice message. I think you're the only person that I've ever allowed to stay at my house that has been on the show so far. That's right, yeah. And he did a fantastic job co-hosting that interview with Sebastian Foucan. That was an interview that I wasn't available to do because of my work schedule. And so I very much enjoyed editing that episode. And I think the, you know, the interview and the storytelling in that one was fantastic. Absolutely. Uh, he's a dab hand at it. And I'm glad I had Sam on board. But Cam, over to you. Who do we have next? Yes, next up we have Jason, a.k.a. Nerdivert. Let's hear what secret agent Nerdivert has to say. Hey guys, this is patron Nerdrovert here. Uh, just wanted to chime in with my favorite episode of the past year. It's definitely got to go to my favorite Daniel Craig performance as James Bond, and that's going to be Casino Royale. I uh, hope you guys keep up the great work, and for all the Spy Network out there, happy holidays. And uh, happy holidays to you, Jason. I mean credit to this man he has excellent taste in spy movies and an excellent taste in people to follow on patreon i believe he was our first ever patron what a guy that's true yeah and i mean he's paying tribute to another great guy daniel craig who you know we talked about casino royale this past year and that movie even when we look at what we were talking about with our wrap-up to the year that movie loomed very large over 2022 for us on the podcast and daniel craig that presence took over the back half of our you know run of our show for the year and will continue to cast a shadow into 2023 yeah he absolutely will and i'm looking forward to seeing where the subsequent chapters of his story take us uh, we've had some really great episodes so far on daniel craig and sort of people attached to his film so i'm excited for 2023 but thank you jason for sending in your clip uh now i believe it's my turn cam that's right. And also just a quick uh, shout out to Daniel Craig for Glass Onion. Also really great. So yes, who's the next caller, Scott? Yes, and the next gentleman to join us on the show is Mr. Vinny Harris. He is at Harris94Vinny on Twitter. He has sent us in a quick clip. Here we go. Hello, Spy Network. This is Vinny. I follow you on Twitter and also follow your podcast. Just want to say that I always really enjoy your stuff you guys really know what you're talking about and it's always fun interacting with both of you because you just create a good sense of community and i'm happy to have been part of all this i particularly liked your rocketeer review i thought that was very entertaining 
as well as your recent Bad Company one, which was very good and it was amazing how many innuendos you managed to get in there. What I mainly want to say is thank you for being good friends and good people. Well, Scott, I think the jury's still out on whether we're, you know, good people. That part uh, we'll leave to you, dear listeners. But um, in terms of what Vinny was talking about for our year, I'm really glad he brought up the Rocketeer because we didn't really talk too much about that one in our wrap up. But I think that movie, I mean, I had a lot of nostalgia for it. And I just think it was a ton of fun to not just review that movie with Aaron from Feel and Film, but also we had a great writer interview off of that one too. Absolutely. And it got a lot of good responses online. It's one of those films that were very much on the uh, the outskirts of spy movies, but it definitely has spy connective tissue. I had a really good time you know, diving into that film for the first time of my life. And I now will add it to sort of the list of my favorite films, personally speaking. So I'm glad we got to explore that. But what I'm really chuffed with from Vinny's clip is that he called out two things. Firstly, Bad Company. Yeah. Lovely to hear Bad Company brought up. It's one of my like, Guilty pleasures of the year, I have to say. <laughs> uh, emphasis on the word pleasure. Mm, and guilty. <laughs> and guilty. Um, and I just... Maybe just a quick message to the spy network we have on Twitter and just generally people that follow us and interact with us on social media and through the podcast. I mean, Vinny calls out the, sort of the community that we have and we wouldn't have that community without each and every one of you. Uh, otherwise, it'd just be me and Cam screaming at each other endlessly, uh, which it was for many years before this podcast existed. So <laughs> I thank you all personally. I, I don't. I, I don't think we need thanks. I want to thank you all for being part of this community. And Scott, Vinny actually raised two movies that have something in common in terms of the Twitter community. You had interactions with both the stars of The Rocketeer and Bad Company. We had Billy Campbell and Ellen Barkin tweeting at us when we were releasing those episodes. Yes, I am officially famous now. I'm waiting for Spotify to call us and sign us to an exclusive deal. <laughs> Anytime now, folks. Anytime. Okay, next up, we have a voicemail from Jeff Quest, who appeared a couple times on the show. He covered um, Day of the Jackal with us, as well as helped you with a recent interview. Yeah, uh, Spy Among Friends, the new ITVX show here in the UK, soon to be premiering in North America as well. I mean, Jeff's been a big supporter of the show since day naught, so we're just glad to have him back on the show once again. Play it, Cam. Hey, Scott and Cam. Jeff Quest here with my pick for 2022 of the Spy Hearts podcast. It's hard to choose. There have been so many, but I am going to have to go to hometown hero Michael Flatley's excellent movie. Blackbird. I don't know if it's excellent, but it sounds like it just based on the description I heard from the show. I haven't seen it yet. It's not released in the U.S. I'm hoping that that's our Christmas present to the U.S. folks that we get to finally see this uh, this extraordinary movie. I laughed numerous times over descriptions of what we see in that film, and just a tip of the hat to you. And uh, I did a little Irish jig as I was listening into that one. So. Thanks again. The second runner-up would have to be the, the declassified interview with Matthew Orton, where we got some really interesting information about why season two of The Night Manager just fell apart. And I think I, it's a really a credit to both of your interview styles that you made him so comfortable that he felt like he could be honest about what happened there. And I really thought that was great. So again, second runner-up there. Happy New Year to you. I'm really excited to see what you've got up your sleeves for 2023. 
Well, firstly, I want to thank Jeff for taking some time out of his busy schedule, not only to help me on that Spy Among Friends chat that I mentioned beforehand, but this guy has three spy podcasts himself. I mean, that that's why he's at SpyWrite on Twitter. I mean, we've got the Barbican Station, we've got Lacare Cast, we've got Like Wolfie Cut Podcast as well. Jeff is a busy man, and he's taking the time out to send us that message. So thank you, Jeff, just for that. But also, a happy new year to you too. Uh, it's lovely to hear that uh, Blackbird is getting a mention in our uh, in our best of for the year. It hadn't been mentioned until this point, so I'm glad it got a shout out. And funnily enough, it is now available on streaming, so people overseas can finally get their fill of the Lord of the Dance. <laughs> That's right. I haven't seen it yet either, so maybe 2023 will be my year to celebrate Blackbird. You can finally soar like the rest of us. That's right. That's right. But yeah, no, this was great. And I love the contrast of Blackbird and then Operation Finale. <laughs> Two very different oh. tones we've got there. <laughs> but yeah, that interview with Matthew Orton was fantastic. And it's rare you get the interviews where you go like the real deep dive because that one really just took that entire movie apart to nuts and bolts. And we got to really examine every aspect of what went into the writing of that film. I thought that was a fantastic interview. And yeah, there was some really good stuff as well, as Jeff mentioned about Night Manager, but also Moon Knight. Yeah, absolutely. And, you know, it, it a lot of that comes down to time, funnily enough. Like a lot of these people we have on the show recently, Colin Salmon, fantastic interview. But we only had a little bit of time with him. So we wish we could have spoken more, but, you know, people are busy. Matthew Orton was nothing but generous with his time and it allowed us to really get into the weeds and, you know, talk about that film. And, of course, you know, Night Manager and stuff like that and, and get the sort of juicy details about that, that sort of stuff. So, Jeff, I'm glad you enjoyed it and I'm looking forward to having you back on the show in 2023. Definitely. This next one's from another one of our fabulous patrons over on Patreon. It is Becky Leonardis, and she wrote us a quick note on Instagram just to share on the show. So here it is. My favorite episode of 2022 is The Rock, the way you guys compare it to the James Bond. That was so cool. Now, Becky's clearly been going through our fabulous back catalog on Patreon, which you can find out more about in the show notes below. Uh, but I just want to thank Becky for supporting the show and just getting involved on all the stuff we're doing over on patreon i'm sure she's been loving all of our recent episodes as well and thank you becky for sending us the message yeah and the rock is an interesting one to bring up because we had a lot of fun recording that episode for the patreon but there was discussion throughout 2022 as to whether we should be moving it into the main feed not that episode although i think we did release that episode on the main feed a while back and that was actually in 2022 for sure um but i i do think like there's been some debate about whether we should be doing a full Spy Hearts episode of that film. So I think that's actually pretty strongly under consideration for the near future of the show. Yeah, I think uh, I think we probably have to pull down that original one if we ever do do it and just uh, start fresh. Yeah, probably a good idea. Yeah, probably. You never know, guys. The Rock may finally lay off the smacketh down on Spy Hearts. That's right. Cam, do we have any other messages? Okay, our next voicemail comes in from Luke Payne, a.k.a. Half Monk, Half Hitman on Twitter. He's a regular in our spy community and has definitely brought up a lot of great points about movies we've covered and also pointed us in the direction of some films that we will cover in the future. So thanks for those, Luke. But here is his voicemail. Hey, Scott and Cam, this is Luke Payne, a.k.a. Half Monk, Half Hitman. Just wanted to say a huge thank you to you guys for all of the great content. 
I only just discovered Spy Hearts this year and I was immediately hooked. There are too many great moments to count, but if I had to name a few, I'd say revisiting The Rocketeer, uh, interviewing Danny Bilson, a lot of the 007 coverage, of course, especially Joseph Nilsson and Mariam D'Abo. But honestly, my favorite part is just being able to be a part of the spy network and interact with you guys and so many great people online. So congrats on a great year. Please do keep up the fantastic work. And here's a little promo I put together if I were to plug Spy Hards to my past self. Enjoy. Do you love spy movies and sometimes movies that are only just barely related to spy movies? Are you looking for some great content to help pass the time while you're pretending to work out, work out, like jogging and stuff? Do you become completely useless if you don't get your spy movie fix like an outcome agent who hasn't taken his chems? I lost my chems. Where do you keep the chems? If your name is Luke Payne and you answered yes to any of these questions, then you need Spy Hard's podcast. Prepare to be completely hooked by discussions about some of your favorite spy films like Ronin and Argo. Reminisce about childhood favorites like The Rocketeer and Thunderman. You'll be introduced to wonderful classics that may become your new favorites like the 39 Steps, 1935, and Where Eagles Dare. Broadsword calling Danny Boy, Broadsword calling Danny Boy. You'll discover other films you probably don't ever need to see again, like The 39 Steps, 1959, and The Silencers. And a couple of films you'll wish you never wasted your time with in the first place. Want my 88 minutes back, Dr. Goldfoot. Spy Hearts deciphers which films belong on the knock list, and after more than two years talking about the knock list, they still won't review a single Mission Impossible movie. But that's where the knock list comes from. I know, it doesn't make any sense. But don't worry, they'll make up for it by at least referencing James Bond every other episode. Incessant references to James Bond is a feature, not a bug, of the Spy Hearts podcast. And since we know you love 007, you'll be captured by Bond reviews and interviews galore, including John Glenn, Joseph Milson, and Barbara Carrera. And you'll be charmed all over again by one of your favorite Bond girls of all time, Mariam Dabo. So shake up your martini, grab your trench coat and your Springfield rifle, strap on your one red shoe, and for goodness sake, you should choose to accept the mission already and tune in to Spy Hearts. You'll learn to like it. You have the time. Good God. <laughs> now, Why have I never listened to that until now? Little behind the scenes, uh, listeners. I purposely don't listen to any of the emails in advance so I can be surprised on the air and you get my natural reaction. Scott and I literally just sat there with our jaws dropped for the last couple of minutes listening to that promo. Luke, you outdid yourself. Um, why aren't you the one hosting this show? <laughs> I, I actually am considering stepping down. Uh, Agent, Agent Luke... And Cam Provocator has a nice ring to it. And I mean, the fact that we got this uh, shout out of this promo that's like mentioning the 39 Steps remake from the 50s or Dr. Goldfoot, uh, incredible stuff. And the frustration for the lack of Mission Impossible, it's real. We know it's a thing and we kind of are enjoying the frustration. <laughs> Yeah, we can hear you all simmering in the background, and we're too busy talking about uh, the Emperor's candlesticks coming soon. <laughs> that's right, that's right. And bad company, yeah, as uh, you know, was mentioned previously. Yeah, uh, I, I, I honestly don't know what to say to that. Uh, I, I feel somewhat flummoxed and flustered <laughs> by the scale of the work that went into that uh, voice clip. I can only 
tip my hat to you, sir. I thank you for that. And I thank you for being part of this amazing community that we're building online. I'm glad we have you in our corner. Yeah, and as the person that assembles those uh, roundtable episodes we do, those big juggernauts, I tip my hat to your editing mastery uh, with that promo. Fantastic work, Luke. And um, Luke, I'm glad you mentioned, you know, Danny Bilson, Mariam Darbo, Barbara Carrera, just some of the sort of heavy hitters we had this year. I I, I am constantly surprised that people say yes to us uh, and agree to sit down with us. They probably regret it by the end. Luke... I'm glad they're here anyway, and I'm glad you guys get to share in that with us and get so much from it, clearly, that you would uh, do a little ditty about it. And also, I love that the Joseph Milson interview has been getting uh, shouted out to a little bit. Uh, That's one I wasn't there for. Scott, you did that one on your own, and I thought it was a really fantastic listen. And actually, people I know, you know, not within the spy community, but just people I know who listen to the show, did contact me and let me know that you did a fantastic job on that interview. So props to you. Well, that's very kind. I mean, a little behind the scenes. That's the first time I think I've ever interviewed anyone by myself. So mm-hmm. I was quite nervous for that. Yeah. Uh, and so I'm glad it turned out really well. I think that was mostly Joseph, I have to say. He was a great storyteller. So he was a just perfect person to do that interview with. Well, I don't think we can go anywhere higher than that. Luke, you have peaked when it comes to our voice notes. Thank you for your clips. Thank you all for being here with us for sharing in uh, the podcast, for joining us on our mission, the mission that you did choose to accept, uh, and for sharing the show to all your friends. We continue to grow year on year, and that is all down to each and every one of you. So all I can say is thank you. No, we really appreciate you guys tuning in, and we get excited about some of the episodes we're putting out and the interviews we're landing, and so it's always really gratifying to get that response back that you guys also appreciate the work that's going into this. And, you know, we spoke about earlier in the show, it's very easy to just play the hits every week. And I know it it can be frustrating sometimes when you haven't seen the films that we're talking about. And I urge you all to to check them out a lot of the time. And that could be time consuming and time is short these days. And I understand that completely. So the fact that you tune in every week and you (laughs) can't have your way to watch films like Big Jim McLean and and trench coat. I mean, it it, it it never ceases to amaze me just the level of support you guys have. And, and, and I am, and we are eternally grateful. Camp, let's talk about what we've got coming up next. Now, I believe the gifts don't stop dropping this week. Yes, we are going to have a very special Spy Master interview for you. Scott referred to this movie earlier, and that movie is Ronin. We are going to talk to the original screenwriter, J.D. Zyke, who... Um, was the one who came up with the concept for the movie. And he's going to come onto the show and explain what the original vision of Rodin was, what some of the changes were, and perhaps a few other surprises along the way. Yeah, let's not spoil it now, but uh, it's definitely a interview. If you're a fan of the movie Rodin, one to check out. A lot of what could have been and maybes are discussed in there. Things that are not public knowledge. It really is a treasure trove of information if you love the film. Ronin and uh, it was a really fascinating conversation as well I mean JD now works as a professor full-time so he he took a little bit time out of his busy schedule to speak with us and we are grateful of him for doing so so your mission should you choose to accept it is to stay tuned this week and check out our interview with JD Zyke and then we will be resuming our regularly scheduled programs next week with our first film of 2023 do not forget to follow us discreetly 
on social media at spyhards that's s-p-y-h-a-r-d-s on facebook twitter and instagram but until next week listeners here's one for you to ponder should spy game have made the knock list Well, Scott, we have a tradition of covering Christmas-based spy films for the Christmas break. And, you know, we tackled Long Kiss Good Guy. And, <laughs> good Guy. And well, we... Good Guy? Good Guy. Well, that was uh, one of the best interviews I've ever had. I think that was... I mean, I'll say that again. I was going to go with like a natural feeling thing, but I don't talk like that when I do this show. I talk like a robot. <laughs> I've been told. That was good interview. I enjoyed it a lot. Thank you. Good night. Logging off. <laughs> <laughs> Pew! <laughs>